What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast could be sponsored by you, the listener, by heading on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas writer. There you can become a patron and support the show as I continue to grow, keep the website up to date, um, keep you informed with everything that I'm doing right now, and uh, eventually get a facelift for the website. Um, Every little bit helps, helps keep the lights on, all that good stuff. So again, just head on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas writer and uh, become a patron today. Um, also, check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. It's uh, my site where you can learn a little about me, uh, get a, a direct link to every single episode, um, all that good stuff. You can also read all of my work. I'm basically writing there every day. Um, the schedule that I have right now for uh, my writing on the site is on Sundays. I'm doing an ATL sports column. Um, kind of traditional in that sense, depending on what's going on in Atlanta sports that week. On Mondays, I am doing a 30 things on the NBA um, that I'm excited about because the NBA is coming back soon. Uh, Tuesdays, I'm doing a Monday Night Raw recap and review. Uh, Wednesday, I am doing a SmackDown Live uh, review. On Thursdays, I am doing a Throwback Thursday, so I'll watch a game because I like watching old highlights. I like watching like 1998 Minnesota Vikings versus like the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, things like that, where Randy Moss went off. Um, so I'm going back watching old games, uh, and I will be writing about them as if they are happened right now and all that good stuff. On Fridays, I'm doing a nobody ass mailbag where I uh, just I have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts on sports, and I can turn them into questions. And uh, I'm going to write about them in a nobody asked mailbag. So you can find that on Fridays. On Saturdays, it's um, it's just a Saturday morning thought. So things I, w- I thought about during the week. I just want to write about and uh, mixed in with all of that, uh, just other kinds of articles like when I wrote about Bruno Caboclo and why it's interesting that the Houston Rockets are taking a chance on it more. Jimmy Butler and his rumored flirtation with uh, the Lakers and why um, he might be a better fit for uh, Kawhi Leonard instead of LeBron James and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, other articles um, spread out throughout the week all that good stuff, but you can find all of that by going to chasethomaspodcast.com. Uh, don't forget, there's a lot of ways you can listen. Spotify is a popular one now, so you can find the Chase Thomas Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Google Play, uh, everything else that you could possibly think of, uh, CastBox, um, just uh, all kinds of great stuff. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, of course, uh, but yeah, just search Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it. And if you are an Apple Podcast listener, uh, it'd be great if you could leave the show a reading and a review. Um, it's just, it's important uh, with the way iTunes works. So it'll help other people find the show, help the show continue to grow. Um, so that'd be great. So if you, uh, if you are an uh, Apple Podcast listener, it would be great if you could leave a rating and a review uh, for the show. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. And uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. 
All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. My name is Chase Thomas, and I'm joined this evening, Monday afternoon, right after a crazy weekend of college football week one is almost in the books. We still have Florida State, Virginia Tech tonight, but um, Dan Wolken is here. He's on the line right now, national columnist at USA Today. Dan, good evening. How are you? Doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. Are you tired yet? How many games did you watch this weekend? Well, I didn't keep a running total. I was at the game Saturday in Atlanta, Washington, Auburn. Obviously watched games earlier that day, into the night, and then uh, the Sunday game and and ready to watch the game Monday. So it's it's a long weekend of college football, but uh, that's uh, not a bad thing, especially when you haven't had it for months and months. What was your biggest takeaway from the Auburn-Washington game? Because I'm biased here, but um, I'd like to know, what did you uh, take away from Washington coming up just short against Auburn? Well, it was a big missed opportunity for uh, Washington uh, just because a lot of the focus is on them, given that the Pac-12 is not perceived very well. So there was a lot of pressure on Washington to come down into SEC country and and get that win and that that would really help them. And if they were able to win the PAC 12 at the end of the year, that that win might get them into the playoff. Uh, They weren't able to get it. I thought, frankly, they shot themselves in the foot. I thought they played better for more of the game than Auburn did but they didn't convert opportunities in the second half when they had them. And Auburn did put together a game-winning drive. Uh, So, look, Auburn has got so many big games coming up in the SEC that we will figure out who they are. Um, They got LSU coming up soon. You're going to have Georgia. You're going to have Alabama. You're going to have Mississippi State. Uh, We're going to understand – all we need to know about Auburn uh, by the end of the year, Washington's going to be a little harder just because the PAC 12 is uh, it is what it is. And I don't think there are a whole lot of games in the PAC 12 that will help Washington's case. Um, and, and look, I think they played well enough in the game that, that they looked like a credible team, but they didn't win. And so uh, that, that could absolutely hurt them if it's a close call at the end. Do you think they're going to have to beat, like, Oregon by, like, 65 points no, and run the no. table? No. No. Okay. Well, they will have to run the table, I think. Uh, although at some point there will be a two-loss team that gets into the college football playoff. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they're going to have to run the table. I think their margin for error is gone. Uh, that's not going to be easy to do, especially when you play nine conference games. Uh, I'm the ones for them that are going to be the most uh, important uh, are going to be Stanford, Oregon, you know, we'll see how good Washington State is. Uh, and then, obviously, at the end of the year, if they're in a Pac-12 conference championship game, but uh, none of them present the kind of opportunity they had to make a, an impression uh, like they like they could have against Auburn. Do you think they made a poor impression? Because I didn't get that. I mean, they were missing their starting left tackle in this game, and I think that's important to remember here. But um, I don't know. Auburn did some really dumb stuff early because I feel like they should have been up by a lot more, and the game should have been out of reach pretty early on because Washington was having the first half from hell to start off. And, I mean, Auburn went for two, and all the – like, Gus did some weird stuff, and then the play calling did that whole thing that they did against LSU last year, which cost them the game, just this – 
really predictable play calling, running up the middle, run up the middle, and then try and make Jarrett Stidham do stuff on his own on the run and everything else. And I mean, obviously it worked out in the end for Auburn, but um, I don't know. I still feel like Washington is a like they have the capability of being a playoff team, but now Auburn, it's just going to be more anxiety in that fan base because now they're back in the playoff conversation. How good are they? And I mean, George obviously uh, disposed of Austin P relatively easily and you saw Tennessee get beaten down. So it does seem like Alabama now that they have to, uh, and I want to ask you about Alabama and the quarterback situation in a second, but um, do you think Auburn did anything for you to make you think that this is a team that can do what they did last year um, and kind of find themselves in a situation late November where um, they control their own destiny and can get into the playoff again? Or do you think just Georgia and Alabama are still just a tear up over them right now? Well, again, week one can fool us in a lot of different ways. Uh, And teams get better and worse. You know, that's the part of this that doesn't always get talked about is teams will improve. Teams will stay the same. Uh, we just don't know what trajectory they're going to be on. I, I think in, in evaluating Auburn from what I saw, um, they did not look offensively like a team that fits the model of what has made Gus Malzahn most successful, which is power running game played at a very high tempo. And Part of that, I think most of that, falls on the fact that their offensive line did not have a great day. Um, no. And yeah. those guys, you know, we'll, again, this is where the development comes in. What's the trajectory of that unit? If the trajectory of Auburn's offensive line is that that, that is what we're going to see, I don't think it will be a great season for Auburn because I don't think an Auburn team where you're having Jared Stidham drop back 35 to 40 times a game is going to be a recipe for success. Uh, They've got to be able to run the ball uh, more successfully. And, you know, again, I mean, you, you don't have, you don't have the same running backs as you had last year. Yeah, no, carry on Johnson being gone is a problem. Yeah. Like replacing someone as good as him. I think he was like the most underappreciated back in the SEC last year. Cause all the conversation was around uh, Chubb and Michelle and Harris and everybody else. But like carry on Johnson was like him being banged up in the SEC title game was a difference maker and just not having him back. It's just going to take time to replace someone like that who did everything for them. Yeah. So if, if, if the offensive line can't, uh, really improve over the course of the season, then Auburn's going to lose three or four times, I think. But we just don't know. That's part of the magic of sports. Yeah. Um, four times after a win against Washington. I mean, college football season's a long time, and uh, maybe we'll look at this as like a blip, and Washington will just be kicking themselves because they go 11-1, and one, and they're just like, man, we really should not have blown that game. And But, you know, it's cool, though, because it was a good Saturday afternoon tilt and it was it was fun what were some of your other like broad takeaways from this weekend's action was there like a big surprise for you like penn state almost going down at home to app state or west virginia blowing out tennessee was there anything that really stuck out to you um no i mean there, there wasn't any big revelation and again i, I tried to uh, not over analyze or react to week one um because so much of of what we think about the results is predicated on what we thought about the teams in the preseason, which is often wrong. Uh, you know, I remember back, I think three years ago, I was 
covering a game in Houston uh, to open the season. It was Texas A&M, uh, who was unranked going into the year, and they were playing Arizona State, who I think was ranked. Mm. I think Arizona State was ranked somewhere in the top fifteen. And long they, time ago, <laughs> they they had come off a really good season with Todd Graham. A lot of people were picking them to win the Pac-12. You know, maybe get to the playoff, and Texas A&M just absolutely ran them out. And you know, and so then you think about that result, and you're, you're saying, well, okay, is is Texas A&M just really really good, or you know, what what what's going on here? And you know, it turned out that that neither team was all that good, and so. Again, ultimately, we'll find out all these teams what they were. Um, but you know that, and, and we'll look back on week one and say, well, okay, some of this makes sense, um, e- even if it doesn't right now. You know, look, I, it was a huge win for Notre Dame over Michigan. Yeah. Uh, great way to start the season for, for Brian Kelly. Although I still think there's there's some questions about them. Uh, you know, I think people are overreacting to Michigan a little bit. Uh, even though I think offensively you wanted to see them be able to do a whole lot more. Uh, It was a bad week for the PAC 12. You know, some of the results UCLA losing Arizona losing was quite a, quite a surprise. Um, And it wasn't fun. Like Cleo Tate. I don't, um, I I don't know. I was a little concerned because Cleo Tate's just like this budding superstar in college football and just like the way he played and the way they're using him. It's not going to be as fun as the Rich Rod era. I don't think. Well, if they're going to try to make him a a passer, yeah. uh, then then it's not going to go well. Um, Khalil no. Tate has got to be able to run the ball uh, mm-hmm. to be effective. That's where he was so electric last year, and you, you know uh, that's why I was a little concerned when when they talked about Ken Niamatololo and he was so strongly against uh, running the triple option. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think Khalil Tate running the triple option that sounds pretty good to me. Um, yeah. But uh, he didn't see it that way. If he thinks of himself as as, as a passer, then uh, yeah, then that that's not going to be fun at all. So again, you know, obviously Texas losing was was bad. Oklahoma, I thought looked really good. Um, so yeah, there were some early takeaways, but nothing I'm going to overreact to. Okay, so I want to touch on the Texas thing because you wrote about them this weekend. Um, but before that, I did have some other thoughts about Notre Dame and Michigan that I want to pick your brain on because I've been fascinated by the reaction to this game because obviously Shea Patterson didn't look great. Um, the Pep Hamilton, like, why is this guy still the OC at this point um, in Michigan? Like, Harbaugh's commitment to him. And I mean, I think a lot of Colts fans were probably, like, enjoying watching that on Saturday, just, like, what he did in Indianapolis for that one year. It's it's odd that he hasn't figured it out, but it seems like the the broad stroke here is that Michigan is like maybe not necessarily running an outdated offense, but it kind of reminds me of like Gruden in, in Oakland and just seeing the fullbacks and everything else and just bringing it back to 1998. Do you think that is the main problem with Michigan is that they're just running too much of a pro style and an outdated pro style? Because we know that they have the talent. They recruit well enough to do other things, but um, do you think at this point, now that he has a mobile quarterback in Shea Patterson that should be able to do a lot of stuff that they have not been able to do with like the Wilton Spates of the world, that, uh, this should be the year that they break out. And if this is not the case, then this is probably the last year of Pep Hamilton in Michigan. Well, I, look, I think, um, if you're going to run a pro style and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, but you have to be really good with your offensive line play and, and it's not good and yeah. it wasn't good. And so if 
you know, if, if that's a weakness for you, then you have to run an offense where guys don't have to hold their blocks for very long, where the quarterback's uh, moving around, where the you know quarterback's improvising a little bit, run a lot of RPO stuff. And uh, that's how you mitigate that, that as a weakness. And so I, I question mostly with the Jim Harbaugh era, what is the philosophy offensively? Um, why is Pep Hamilton the offensive coordinator? And then you, know, you bring in Ed Warner, you bring in Jim McElwain. It's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but some fairly mediocre cooks. And that's not going to make you a five-star meal. So I, I, that that's where I think they, they've sort of failed. Uh, they definitely look like a plotting offense, and I don't think they need to play that way. Uh, Shea Patterson will, will get better, I, I, I think. And, and, and look, at the end of the day, you open up at Notre Dame. That's not an easy game by any stretch right. of the imagination. Like it felt like we were looking at Notre Dame as like some dumpster fire, and it's like they lost on a road on the road yeah. to a really good team. It's not. There's a difference between losing at Maryland, who doesn't have a head coach right now, with an interim and everything else going on there, and losing at Notre Dame in a primetime slot with a new quarterback. Like there's just a difference there, and yeah. I just I feel like we're underrating just how good Notre Dame could be especially on defense like this is still a good defensive team they lost Mike Elko but um I don't know I I think we overreacted and didn't give Notre Dame and Brian Kelly's group enough credit for just they had a better game plan but it's also like they're a top 15 team with top 15 talent it's a it's a tough game to open with and it's one that you know anytime you play it you have a very good chance of losing I, I think more it's just a cumulative issue at Michigan of of now in year four not really having what someone would call a signature win. Uh, and, and that's where I, I, I believe uh, people are, are getting antsy with uh, the Jim Harbaugh era. So at some point that'll happen. And, you know, also you have a loss already. Uh, the Big Ten East is going to be very difficult. They've got a lot of games, mm-hmm. tough games on the road. Um, we'll see if they can navigate it and get better, but, but they certainly will have to get better to, to be where they want to be. Yeah, um, I'm not worried. If they fall anything below ten and two, I would be surprised. I still think this team's going to win a lot of games and they'll get better and they'll figure things out. But um, I am already starting to go back, like in uh, <laughs> conversations, because I kind of shied away from the Ohio State stuff um, in the last couple weeks, and I'm just like, can a team really go through? And then you watch Dwayne Haskins uh, play quarterback for them, and you're like, oh right, when uh, this group has a really good quarterback, things are different. JT Barrett was fine. But there was just like this, okay, we got to finally move on. And Haskins has just breathed new life into that group. And it's uh, scary, 77 points. And now I'm starting to think that uh, me talking myself into Penn State as the Big Ten playoff um, um, representative instead of Ohio State was very uh, short-sighted. And I just, I think we overreacted. And I think it's more of an emotional thing where it's like, Oh, this is going to be weird. Ohio state's just going to dominate everybody. There's just so much talent, so many blue chippers on both sides of the ball. Like no matter what's going on, this team is just a behemoth that is just going to wreck everybody. Are we, are you like, is that where you are with this group and with Haskins and what you saw and just like where they're going? Like there's just no chance this team doesn't like go undefeated in the regular season. Oh no, I I disagree with that. Uh, Look, I think Haskins is good. I, I, I thought he should have played last year. I thought they would have been better off if he had played last year. Yeah. Uh, I don't think JT Barrett was particularly effective. Um, but I, I don't think they're good enough defensively to be the kind of team that just sails through the season. Uh, okay. I, I think if, if that's the kind of team you're going to be, 
then you've got to be great defensively because there there are going to be games where their offense, you know, turns it over or whatever. It just doesn't, you know, just bad luck, a, a bad bounce. Uh, there will be games where, where they get limited uh, at least somewhat and will have to rely on their defense. And if you, if that isn't something that you can count on week in and week out, uh, then, then you're going to lose at some point. So I, I don't think they'll go undefeated uh, just because of that. Uh, they're obviously very good. It'll be interesting to see the dynamics with uh, Meyer when he comes back. But look, they got to go play TCU in week three. Like that's not going to be a cakewalk. So we'll find out more. I, I'm just, they played a very bad team to open the season. And I, I, I don't want to read too much into it. Okay. My week one reaction is like, oh God, Ohio State's winning the national championship. That's what I'll, I'm sticking with for a while. Like, oh my God, this team. And if we get uh, Tua versus Haskins in the final, I think that's a win-win. But then again, Clemson, another team looked really good and they have Trevor Lawrence just sitting there. Um, so I want to talk about Texas. You wrote about them. What did you make of the Herman stuff and just losing the way they did to this Maryland team? Um, obviously we, we touched on a little bit, like it's a different loss than it was for Michigan to lose at Notre Dame. Like, um, I think this is the biggest surprise of the weekend, but, um, it seems like the national response is, uh, this is a tough sell. How does this happen? This should not happen at this point with Herman. And, uh, um, what is the state of Texas football with this? Yeah, it's, it's not a great loss. And, you know, maybe Maryland is being undervalued a little bit, uh, they have done a good job recruiting the last couple of years. So it's not a team that's totally just devoid of talent, but clearly Texas should not lose to Maryland two years in a row. They should have improved uh, and maybe they will, but you come into year two thinking that Tom Herman, a Tom Herman coach team is going to be way better than it was in year one. And, and it didn't look that way uh, on Saturday. So that's concerning it's not great from just a football standpoint. It's not great from a narrative standpoint. And that, that matters as well. Like you want to have the narrative around the program that things are getting better. The trajectories pointing toward being able to compete with Oklahoma at some point in the near future. And, and that's just not what you saw when they played Maryland. And again, it's one game. Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe they will be way better. Uh, they played USC coming up soon and, and maybe they win that game and everything kind of turns around, but there's no doubt that, uh, you know, right now kind of the bloom is off the rose with Tom Herman and we'll see if uh, at some point they can get it back because uh, that, that was a, was a, just a flat out bad loss. Is there any chance like Texas A&M, like there was something about like the way they won and they got Mike Elko from Notre Dame and Jimbo uh, winning the way he did. Is there like growing, uh, animosity in that respect where it's like, Oh God, Herman's got even more pressure on him now because, uh, Texas A&M is like this sleeping giant again that, no, uh, I don't think so. No? I okay. mean, I, I don't think the programs outside of talking about playing each other, uh, which they tend to do a lot without mm-hmm. actually playing each other. I don't think they have much. Right. To, I only want as much to do with the other. Uh, they, they, you know, they're in different conferences. They're not going to see each other anytime soon, unless it's a, bowl you know i miss that thanksgiving game yeah i mean look i think it would be great if they played i think a lot of people around the state and around uh just the whole thing would would be happy if if they could find a way to do it but they're not going to do it and it's kind of 
silly at this point to waste a lot of breath on it. Uh, yeah, they go to head-to-head in recruiting some. There's no doubt about that. But you know, I, I just don't think you know what's happening at Texas really has a lot of influence on what's happening at Texas A&M or vice versa. How worried should Texas fans feel about uh, Tom Herman and uh, the trajectory uh, Texas is on right now? Well, I wouldn't worry too much yet, but as I've documented, really great coaches tend to show their impact by year two. They tend to show greatness in some form or fashion by year two. And so you want to see some type of greatness out of Texas. And I'm not saying if, if this year doesn't go well, that it can't happen in the future. But historically, this is when it happens. And if it can't, then you have to ask why. And, you know, maybe it's not Tom Herman. Maybe it's Texas. I mean, maybe it's the perception that everyone has that Texas should be this job where it's so easy to win isn't true. Maybe there's just a lot of factors going on with Texas football that, that make it harder than we think. Uh, because if you look historically outside of that great you know, 10, 12 year run, Mac Brown went on and it was unbelievable what he did and how many games they won there. Uh, Texas has not had a great half century. That's just a fact. Um, so I, you know, maybe it's time to worry about Tom Herman, but maybe it's also time to just acknowledge Texas football isn't what some people think it is. Yeah. Um, that's a scary thought, I think, for a lot of Texas fans. Um, but how do you see this season? I know um, we don't want to do any more week one of reactions, but um, does this, when you were looking at the way the season was probably going to go for Texas, do you still see them on that track or are you starting to go, okay, maybe they're not a nine and three team. Maybe they're like a seven and five. Maybe they're like a six and six. Is there um, anything in the schedule that now that you've seen them a little bit, that you're like, Oh, okay. So they might actually lose here. They might stumble there. Oh, I want to see more. I, I want to, um, now, I want to see the game against USC uh, because if they lose that one, then I think the season probably trends toward being a, a pretty big disappointment. You know, you've still got some tough games in the Big 12 there to deal with you know, West Virginia, Oklahoma, TCU. And then you're talking about another six and six type of deal, which I, I, I think would be a big, big letdown, a big disappointment. And, and the seat would start to get a little bit warm. But uh, I think that USC game is going to be so key and figuring out really what they are. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just weird because it seems like there was just so much. I, I, I guess I just want them to be good. Do you think it's like one of those things where it is like the Knicks and um, I don't know, just the Lakers and teams like that where it's like college football actually is better when they're good or do you not think that's really a true thing anymore and it doesn't actually matter uh, for the health of the sport for Texas to ever figure this out? Yeah, I'm not sure it matters all that much. Uh, look, I think I think college football would benefit from some more teams getting in the mix. Like right now, we're sort of in this period where, okay, Alabama, Clemson, uh, Ohio State, uh, you know, and then a couple others, Georgia. Um, but you know, you go into a season and there's only six or seven teams that you can really envision having a, a chance to win a national championship. And, and it's basically been the same teams more or less for the last three, four years. And I do think it would 
be a benefit to college football to maybe get a couple more new teams in there. Georgia was a new team last year, so I think that was good. But yeah, if Texas could get in, in into that mix, if, if Michigan, if USC, uh, you know, anyone who's who's just kind of a new face could could get in into that mix, I think it would be I think it would be a nice change of pace. Are you surprised at all about the way Nick Saban has handled the quarterback situation with Tua and Jalen? Well, I'm not surprised because coaches rely on what they know. And so Nick Saban in dealing with this quarterback situation has, has gone back to the same playbook that he has used many times before every year. I mean, whether, you know, when it was Blake Sims, when it was Jake Coker, Alabama went into training camp with a lot of questions about who the quarterback was going to be. And then basically they, they just kind of let it play out and didn't say a whole lot. And they made some adjustments. And then by, you know, the, you know, three weeks into the season, they figured out who gave him the best chance to win and they just rolled with it. Uh, so I think Nick Saban was, you know, sort of thinking the same way, but this is not a normal quarterback situation. This is a situation where you pulled a two-year starter at halftime of the national championship game. You put in somebody who hadn't played very much and you saw a offense transform around his talent and you end up winning a game that otherwise you would have lost. So uh, no, this is not your normal quarterback situation and, and handling it the same way you always have. I don't think is, is going to make anyone happy. Um, I, I think players generally want coaches to be upfront and honest with them about yep. what their role is and where they stand. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Nick Saban and Alabama have been particularly honest with Jalen Hurts about what his role is and where he stands up until now. And I think that Nick Saban snapping at Maria Taylor the way he did was indicative of somebody who is who knows this is a really sensitive, volatile issue, and who doesn't quite know how to get his arms around it, which freaks him out because Nick Saban yeah. is somebody who gets his arms around just about anything. And he's he was clearly rattled. And I, I understand like the what he wants to do is protect both guys. And I think he genuinely does really care about both of those guys. But I think in his heart of heart of hearts, he knows like, I mean, you can't watch that game. And that's why Maria Taylor asked that question is like, you can't watch that game and watch what Tua did versus what Jalen did and be like, why is there still a controversy? Like, I don't understand like, what else do you have to see? But at the same time, Jalen did so much for him um, for that two year stretch. Um, And they were also dominating people uh, week in week out with Jalen. It's just a different kind of thing. And it's like, I think Pat Forty said this, and um, I think it's the best way to sum it up with the Jalen versus Tua argument is that like, Two is great and Jalen's just really good. That's just all it is. Like one can like one can be good and one can be great. It's not like it, one of those things, and that's why I think it's more difficult for Saban. It's like I, I like what I have in Jalen, but like two is just this freak of nature, and it's also like, oh my god, I actually have a good quarterback. Like Alabama with a good quarterback is um terrifying and also just kind of weird for Saban, and I wonder if that's part of it too. It's like, oh my god, I just have something here that I've never had. Like well, this is this is crazy. Well, and don't look, Nick Saban's like any other coach. You know that having both of them on the roster might cause some issues, but at the end of the day, you need to have two quarterbacks because if something happens to your starter, you need someone as a backup yeah. who's capable of coming in and, and winning games for you. And uh, I, I do think this transfer idea does play into the situation. Uh, Jalen Hurts is not going to end his career at Alabama. I think we know that. It's 
quite obvious. His father practically said as much uh, to Matt Hayes in a big story earlier this summer. And, you know, if, if basically Alabama and, and Saban were slow playing Jalen Hurts to make sure he didn't leave, I think that's the wrong thing to do. Um, and I don't think that was being honest and upfront and respecting what he's done for the program. Uh, it would, it's just self, it's self-preservation basically. It would not be, yeah, it would not be great for, for, uh, for Alabama if he left, but they would get someone else in there and I think they'd be okay. Um, look, I, I think the kid deserves to go somewhere else and play two years. And I think he's earned the right to do that. He's done enough for Alabama to do that. And I'm, what I'm worried about is they're going to put him in for mop-up duty this year, and he, they're going to burn his year of eligibility, and it's it's not going to do anything for the kid to, to do that. And that and it's, uh, I, I hope it doesn't play out that way, but that's the way I fear it will. Let him go to Oregon and replace Herbert next year. That's what needs to happen. Go join Cristo Ball and go play at Oregon for a couple of years and maybe get sneak into the playoff. That's what I want to happen for Jalen. Well, there's a lot of places he could go that would be that would fit his talents and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really care about where he goes. Ultimately, that that'd be up to him. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. I just, you know, I, I just don't want to see him burn his third year out of four eligibility wise. Mm-hmm as a, as a non entity, as a non factor in what Alabama is doing. I, I don't, and he has to play in what five games. Is that the four. new role? He like can you play four. four. Yeah. Oh, you can play four, but I thought it was like, if you play four, then you're done. But if you play five, then it burns. So no, it's actually, can... if you just play in the fourth, you're, it's burned. No, no, no. You can play in four and keep your eligibility. Gotcha. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Um, so it seems like that's probably what's going to happen though. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. A lot what up thinking. in the air, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating. But do you think this is now with two at Alabama that like, just, are we overreacting? Was Louisville that bad? Um, <laughs> or is this like one of those things where it just really is going to be like Alabama is just about to run over everybody for two years with two. Well, I, I don't want to go there. I mean, look, Alabama's, they've won enough championships that you can count on them being in the mix. But nobody's unbeatable. Their defense has yeah. some holes. Uh, they're, they're pretty young on that side of the ball. Uh, yep. th- there could be games where they turn it over. Like Alabama's historically been really good in openers under Saban. Um, and I, I feel like we've had this conversation before. Uh, the year they destroyed USC in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they destroyed Michigan in Dallas one year. You know, and and everyone's like, well, they're you know, no one's going to beat them, and then they end up losing because teams, most teams lose the game. I, I think I don't think. So Alabama, are you saying LSU might not go twelve and zero based yeah. on their beating well, of Miami? Well, no, but even in, I don't think Saban's had an undefeated national championship team. Uh, it's just hard. Oh, interesting. It's, it's yeah, just hard. So. It's just hard it's to really do. It's really hard to go undefeated. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, and then you lose the wrong game or whatever. You may not get in. Like I, I just. I think it's a little bit ridiculous to, to just say, well, you know, I'm just giving the trophy right now. I, I mean, it may turn out that way, but I have to go win it. And, and no one else is going to, you know, no one's going to just basically like lay down and say, yep, here's your victory. They're going to have to go, they're going to have to go play. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's funny because like they've based, they game one game uh, from winning a national title with a quarterback who was a running back when he got to Alabama. <laughs> oh no, they, they've done, they've yeah. certainly done really 
really good stuff. But you know, again, this is this could be an Alabama team, and I think part of the calculation with with Tua is this could be an Alabama team that, that kind of needs to score thirty some points a game. Uh, they the have some, isn't as good in your yeah. in years past. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, so they they so that will change a lot of things, and that will give people if people can score on them, that will give them an opportunity to lose, and we'll just have to see if it. If it happens, I, I still think there's a team uh, from Clemson, South Carolina, who, uh, yeah, you know, by the end of the year, could be uh, could could present a pretty big challenge for them too. And there's a lot of parallels between Kelly Bryant and Jalen Hurts that I just I really do empathize with those guys because I think it it does suck to be on a team that going to national title and if like there was no Tua or no Trevor Lawrence and it was just them for the duration of their collegiate careers, however however long that would be. Um, I think people would love them and appreciate them and there'd be no controversy and everything else. And they would probably win a national title each. And it'd be one of those things where it's obviously they're not the perfect quarterback. Um, they're not a Trevor Lawrence. They're not a Tua Tagovailoa. How do you even say it? Tagovailoa? Is that it? Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa. Okay, sure. Um, I'm never going to get this right. Uh, I'm just going to go back to Tua. Um, it is, uh, I just, I just feel bad for guys like that because like, if Kelly Bryant started all 12 games, there's a realistic shot that he still goes like 11 and one or 12 and zero, and things are fine. That's really, really good. And it's just like one of those things where it's a, what have you done for me lately? And it's just, there's this new shiny toy outside and it's just, you're not, you're an old model and you're, you're just flawed in a way that the, the new guy isn't. And it's just, there's nothing you can do. You're a solid a minus B plus guy who can win a national title. Um, but it just it doesn't matter because there's just someone better behind you. That's got to suck at what, some of these big-time programs where it's just when you have, like, I mean, look at Jake Fromm now. Justin Fields looked really good on Saturday. And it's like you have him breathing down your neck now. And I just, I, I do feel bad for guys like that where it's like if they're a four-star or whatever and they have a five-star come in and it's like, are you kidding? I could win a national title. I could be a college legend, but I have this other guy right behind me that everybody wants to see because he's clearly better. But I'm still pretty good too. I don't know. I just feel bad for Kelly Bryant and, Jalen Hurts. Well, that's the problem with being a quarterback. There's only one who can play at a time, and uh, there's typically only going to be one who plays for a team during a season, and that's why I don't blame guys if when they want to transfer and look for a better opportunity. It's it's just a numbers game. Yep. Um, is there any um, big things that you're thinking about with Florida State Virginia Tech tonight? Because that's the last game before uh, week two. Is there anything you're looking forward to? We're recording right before kickoff so is uh the deandre deandre francois versus will blackman uh, yeah controversy is that something that interests you at all or no no no, not really i'm I'm interested in what florida state's going to look like just because willie tagger runs such a different system than jimbo fisher and i have no clue what to expect none at all uh so it'll be interesting to see i'm not as high on deandre francois as some people were when he was a freshman, I thought he was a bit erratic. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's improved his accuracy as a passer and all that. You know, I, I, I love Virginia Tech's coaching staff, probably one of the best in the country in terms of preparing their guys uh, for the games and developing players. And they're going to need to develop because their secondary got decimated by people leaving and for the NFL yeah. and the Edmonds brothers. And so they're going to, uh, they're going to be kind of a wild card as well. So I just, I, I have no clue what to expect, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a great conference game to start the season with. Do you have a pick yet? 
Uh, I, I, I'm putting you on the spot. I, I, we got to get a pick, man. It will be it, the, you will look like a genius tomorrow when people hear this, and because uh, the game will have already happened. And if you got it right, yeah. then you look like a million bucks. So there well, you I'm go. picking. I'm picking Florida State by less than mm-hmm. the seven point spread. So okay. you know, by like a field goal or something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I can see it. It's gonna be close. I mean, Virginia Tech's defense, like you said, they're replacing a lot. But Bud Foster, good defensive coordinator, and I like who Willie Tiger brought in from Michigan State to be his DC. Um, I think Florida State's Harlem Barton, fine. Yeah. I, yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be fine. But uh, I, now I want to know because I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because the South Carolina hype just I, I can't get over it because like the Florida stuff. I'm still very pro Florida in this regard, and seeing Felipe Franks throw five touchdowns. Um, on Saturday was good because I think Florida fans have been dying for the Dan Mullen or just a competent offense era to return in Gainesville. And it seems like that's back. And if they, uh, I know it's a gigantic overreaction based on who they played, but like, I, I don't know. I just feel like Florida is just sitting there and I don't really understand how people are like talking themselves into Will Muschamp in South Carolina over Florida with a competent offense and someone as good as Dan Mullen is their head coach now. Yeah, I think probably the South Carolina hype's a little bit overwrought based on beating Michigan in the bowl game last season. Yeah. I think they were a team that relied a lot on turnovers. That's one of those year to year things that, that isn't always sustainable. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if South Carolina is maybe not quite as good as some people think. I actually believe Georgia this weekend will handle them pretty comfortably, uh, even yeah. in Columbia. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a, look, South Carolina is, they're in a nice situation. They're a solid program now. Uh, they can win eight games easily, but in terms of being a real contender, I just don't see it. I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, I just, oh, how much would you would you have to get paid to watch a Georgia Tech versus South Carolina game in 2018? Well, I, I, I would watch any game. I, I actually like watching Georgia Tech. Would you? Tech. You would watch the triple option versus South Carolina's offense? There's no way. I, I would like, never do it. I like watching Georgia Tech. When Georgia Tech is, is executing. No, you do not. Do you really? Listen, when Georgia Tech's been good, when they've had teams that execute at a really high level, I mean, they're a beautiful offense to watch. They also make the games really fast, which is which is nice. They do make it fast. Yes, that is nice. I, mean, I would that, agree with that. I mean, their team in 2014, when they beat Mississippi State in the uh, Orange Bowl, they were, I mean, that was a fun team to watch. Uh, a couple years yeah. ago, they were fun to watch. I, they they are their problem is they're up and down a, a bit as a program. This year they brought in a new defensive coordinator, Nate Woody, who I've heard great things about. App State, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I like their team. I think you know they have a chance to win that division uh, this year. But uh, yeah, I, I, option football when executed well is a thing of beauty to watch. Hard pass. Don't like it at all. Like that Tennessee game to open last year, we, my roommate and I had this running joke about like the keep away that uh, Georgia Tech was doing. Of like, oh, Tennessee's not getting the ball back after that three and out from Normandy. They're going to have the ball for another nine minutes. I love it. Just I love right. it. It's awful. It's got to be like just demoralizing to play them when they're good because it's just, I, I, I just don't like it. No thanks. Give me air raid all day. I just love a good air raid and a good, like Kyler Murray on Saturday. That's what I love to watch. Well, Lincoln they- Riley with somebody like Kyler Murray. The nice thing about college football as compared to the NFL is you have a contrast of styles. Teams play different ways. They can win playing different ways. In the NFL, everyone kind of does the same stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, I think, a big, that's a big factor in, in college football's favor is that you just get these contrasting styles that makes for a lot of fun, fun matchups. 
So what is the last thing, and then we'll go, what is the number one game that you're looking forward to watching um, in week two? Well, I think the uh, A&M-Clemson game will be interesting. I think Clemson will win, but I would not be surprised if you look up at some point with you know 10 minutes to go, 8 minutes to go, and it's a 7-point game or a 4-point game or something like that. I think it will be a difficult game for Clemson just because they have to go on the road. That place is going to be juiced up, and you've got – uh, a, a quarterback, in, again, I, I'm, they'll probably start Kelly Bryant, and then they'll probably bring in Trevor Lawrence, and we'll see what happens with, with that. But um, A&M's got some fast guys, and he, Trevor Lawrence looked to me when he played like it was a little bit, you know, the game was, he, he's just into the speed of the game still in, in college, and it'll take him a while to, to, you know, get it figured out. He'll be a much better quarterback in a month than he is now, but you got to go play at A&M in week two, and I, I think it will be a bit of a struggle, you know, maybe kind of like when Clemson uh, beat Auburn in Auburn early uh, two years ago, you know, and it, it was kind of an ugly game and they didn't really execute well, but they won with their defense and then ended up winning the national championship. I think that will, I think that the game at A&M will look a lot like that. Okay. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of fun either way. First big test for Jimbo. And uh, hopefully a lot of Trevor Lawrence because he looks like he's going to be really special and really good too. And I like watching uh, good teams with good quarterbacks because uh, that's what makes things fun. Um, Dan Wolken, thank you so much for taking the time. This was great. No I really problem. Really appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Dan Wolken. We can read you at USA Today Sports or you can read uh, Dan's great work on Texas and the misery index there, um, the Jalen Hurt situation and uh, Alabama and all that good stuff. So keep up with Dan this fall as he... Uh, covers college football and everything else for usa today dan we'll have to do this again soon okay thanks and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple Podcasts or itunes i would really appreciate if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review if uh, you're not an apple podcast listener remember you can find the show on spotify tune in radio soundcloud stitcher Google Play or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.